Well, good morning again. It's good to see you all here. And um, it's been a few weeks since I've, uh, I've been up here speaking, and I have really enjoyed my rest, actually. And, um, but I also enjoy coming back and, uh, and preaching again. Let's turn to the book of Romans. We're going to continue in this massive series that we've been on for well over a year now. And, um, but we're coming to a close. And uh, this morning we're going to be commencing chapter 13. For those of you who remember, we've, uh, we spent quite a time in chapter 12, actually seven, seven sermons actually, in chapter 12. And, um, and I purposely spent that much time in chapter 12 because it's, it's foundational for the rest of the book especially the first two verses. So this morning we're going to read the first seven verses of chapter 13 of the book of Romans. I'll be reading from the NASB version. I hope you can follow along. I'm sure you will. Chapter 13 and verse 1 of Romans. Every person is to be in subjection to the government or governing authorities for there is no authority except from God and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. Verse 3. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behaviour, but for evil. Do you want to have fear of authority? Do what is... Sorry. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore it is necessary to be in subjection not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to to this very thing. Render to all what is due to them. Tax to whom tax is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honour to whom honour. Are you going to turn this on? Maybe you can wait. But, well, I might not work from here. Spin it around. Yeah. Technology. Okay, we're getting there. It's a very specific chapter today and uh, a text. Uh, and um, what we have here is very specific in relation to how we respond to government. Um, just while we get these, uh, yeah, we're all set now. God willing, we will have one of those ones that come up on the roof and it'll be all better. But as I was thinking about this section of scripture, you will have noticed, like me, no doubt, that us Christians, and I include myself in that, can be very good at compartmentalising our lives in order to satisfy the so-called spiritual side and then in order to satisfy the so-called secular side. This is called dualism, by the way. 
And it describes how many Christians live their lives. We kind of box up or tend to box up some areas for God and our own spiritual well-being and, and so forth and we put the rest of our lives on some kind of a imaginary secular shelf thinking that that area is no business of God's. It's all to do with me. We need to understand that Christian living is not divisible. We cannot detach any area of our lives from who we are in Christ. We cannot. You see, living a surrendered life, like we have in chapter 12 and verses 1 and 2, living a surrendered life to Jesus Christ will find its way into every single area of our lives, no matter what. No path, no word, no thought, deed or relationship is is or can be detached from our devotion to Jesus Christ our Saviour, whom we are to honour in all things, right? But one of the crucial life areas where Christianity, can I say, is put on a some kind, some kind of secular shelf is in relation to civil government or in relation to those in authority over us. We take it and we put it out there and say, really, that's none of God's business. And we negate this. In doing so, we negate this as being purely secular. And what happens then is we become indifferent about what God has to say on that subject. Now, you may be thinking, yes, but we know all this. Uh, we know how we are to treat as Christians our governing authorities, our governments, our premier, our those who are in authority are over us. We know we know that from the scriptures. Do we really? Do we? If you really do know, God bless you. But let me ask you a question. This is this is the acid test coming on. Let me ask you a question. How often? Over the last few months, leading up to our recent elections, and since, have you in some way despised, slandered, mocked, criticised our past or even our newly elected leaders? I guess if I ask for a raising of hands, you know what, mine would be the first to go up. And I know there would be a few others who would follow. And we justify this action, right? We justify our criticism. It seems to be the Aussie way, you know? Put the guys up there, they're down, kind of thing, you know? They put a foot wrong, man, you slander them. You put them down and you call them all sorts of names. And, and, and we justify that kind of action, even as Christians. We justify it by saying, wow, look at all the evils and the mismanagement and the corruption and look at the moral drift of our nation and its leaders. And because of all that, it's real easy to become cynical about those who are responsible, right? It's real easy. But what does God say about this? What does he say about this? Now I've got the right button What does he say about all this? 
Do we really respond Christianly to our governing authorities? That's the question. Can I suggest we may know how, and we may know all this, but we can detach from our Christianity and respond purely out of our unredeemed natures, our fleshly natures. Well, the Apostle Paul here in this section, leaving no stone unturned, he moves from, in chapter 12, making uh, friends out of our enemies, in the end of chapter 12 we saw that, and now he moves to submission to those in authority over us, as we see in these first verses of chapter 13. Actually, this submission aspect is a continuation from the beginning of chapter 12. It's not a new kind of a thing he's moving into here. He's just fleshing out what submission to the Lord really looks like. Okay, and, we, and he's explained some of that, what it looks like in the church. In chapter 12, he tells us that what submission to the Lord as a living sacrifice, what that really looks like in a believer's life, is one of serving and one of using gifts in the church, in the local church, and edifying one another, and, and one of demonstrating love for one another. And by blessing those people, even in the church, who are downright difficult. And moving wider afield, overcoming evil people with the good that we can do them. And we hit burning coals on their head is the expression that was used. In each case we are to give ourselves in obedience and submission to the Lord. And we learned that in chapter 12. Well here in chapter 13 Paul continues this submission discussion and here we see that we are to de- demonstrate Submission to the Lord by submitting to earthly authorities. It's a continuation of this. Now you must understand that in Paul's day, this was radical teaching. It was really radical teaching. For a Jew like the Apostle Paul was, to bow to the authority of Roman oppressors would be like asking Jewish Christians today to bow to the Palestinian authority if they were in power. You can imagine that. It'd be like chucking gas on a fire, wouldn't it? But despite the political tyranny of Paul's day, he urged the new believers in Jesus to submit and support the state rather than oppose it. And there were plenty of people who opposed it. There were groups who you could belong to to oppose it. One group is the Zealots. And their aim and purpose was to oppose the ruling authority of the day. So submission to those whom God has placed over us in government is and always has been commanded of believers. And so what we're going to do this morning is look at some principles that are foundational in our relationship to our governing authorities here in Australia and for us today. So the first one we need to look at is human government is God's idea. We see this in verses 1 and 2. You see, Paul wastes no time on this and what he does here in verses 1 and 2 is he establishes two important truths the first one is he emphasises that every person as we see in the first section every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities that's what it says there now this is given in a broad sense a broad sense that we need to understand that everyone means everyone there's no exception we're not just talking necessarily about Christians this is everyone it's given in a broad sense it is, is to be subject to his or her governing authority. Now, 
it's given in a broad sense because this is a fundamental plan of God for the well-being of mankind in general. In a very similar way, God sends the both the sunshine that we have plenty of today and the rain that we don't have too much of time this time of the year, but he sends the sun and the rain on who? On the righteous and the wicked, right? And that is all for the general well-being of mankind. And it's the same deal with government or the principle of government. It's for the well-being of mankind. But here in this text, I believe, what Paul has in mind specifically is believers, Christians. In other words, what Paul is implying here is that Christianity and good citizenship go hand in hand. You got that? Believers are to be model citizens. You are to be a model citizen. You're to be law-abiding. You're not to be a rebel. We're not to be rebels. Frustrating the government at every post. That's not our place. We're to be known as obedient rather than rebellious. Yes? We must speak out against sin and injustice and immorality as those who are devoted followers of Jesus Christ. But we must only do that within the framework of civil law and at all times giving due respect to the government authorities. You got that? There's no room in God's economy for rebel Christian groups, folks. Or maybe if you feel like forming an Adelaide Christian militia to really get tough on those who may deserve some toughness. No room for it. No matter how unjust the government is, The only exception to this be subject to governing authorities command, the only exception is where the law of the land comes into direct conflict with the law of God and primarily the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember Peter and the apostles? They were thrown into prison, right? For preaching the gospel. And they were commanded you are not to preach in the name of Jesus Christ ever again. Now that is an exception. The Apostle Peter gives us an example of our exception. So what was their answer? No way, we must obey God rather than men. And so they carried on preaching. We read that in Acts 5. The second truth that Paul emphasises in these first few verses here is that there is no authority except from God and those that exist are established by God. That's what it says. There's no authority except from God and that those exist are established by God. Wow, that sends a whole lot of things through our thinking, right? Now, it's, it's, but it's vital to understand this truth in order to willingly and obedient obey the command of the first verse. Okay? See, God institutes and raises up, puts in power, chooses government's folks. That's what he does. We're not to go off thinking either here, by the way, that this is Paul's lone voice on politics. Because the same truth is verified as the inspired word of God by the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 2, 3.17. And this is what he says there. If you listen to this, he said, this is what Peter says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake 
to every authority instituted among men, whether to a king as supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God, honour the king. Or we could put honour the prime minister. Or honour the mayor. Or honour the chief of police. Or honour whoever is in the parish. Now we all know that neither of these apostles is telling us something. Neither of them is telling us that God is only behind the establishment of peace-loving, democratically elected governments that we like and which all suit us. He's not telling us that, is he? In other words, those regimes that we know around the world and, and praise God we've been protected from here, down here under, but um, even those regimes that are cruel and evil and violent and, and unjust and, and are dictatorial, those regimes are also in power on the basis of God's sovereign authority of which Christians are called to submit to. In Paul's day, the head honcho was Nero. And if you ever want to get introduced to one crazy, evil tyrant of a man, Nero is it. He was not only power hungry, he was blatantly horrible. He loved killing Christians. That was his pastime. He even killed members of his own family because he thought they were trying to dethrone him. That's a kind of man that Paul here is telling Christians to be in subjected to. Paul is not saying that God is pleased with these kind of people and what they do. He's not saying that God is pleased with their actions, no. Why is that? Because that would be very against the character of God, right? The very character of God does not allow him to be pleased with the likes of Nero, Saddam Hussein or Adolf Hitler and the likes. No. What Paul is saying here is that we are to respect the principle of authority because it is God designed even when it's handled badly. After all folks a bad government is better for society than no government at all, right? It really is. And let us not forget that God can still bring about his purposes through godless and cruel dictators. He can. Remember Nebuchadnezzar? He was a little bit like Nero. He was one cruel, power-hungry despot himself. But how were God's people told to respond when living as captives under his authority? How were they told to respond? Were they told to rebel and and make as much trouble as you can for this man and, 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 and slander him? No, no. This is what they were told. Jeremiah 29 verse 7. Seek the welfare of the city. That's Babylon, right? Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare. In other words, they were just to get on with life and to be good citizens and to enjoy the benefits that that regime would give them. And while we're in Babylon, remember also... 
Three other men, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. You read their story. Coming up to how they were thrown into the fiery furnace. They responded to the government of the day with absolute due respect and honour. They did not slander, back talk or anything like that. Also remember Daniel prior going into the lion's den? He was a prophet who was a statesman. <coughs> They're an example of believers who showed respect and submission to civil authorities even when their stand for God's ways rather than men's brought them into conflict with this evil regime. Both good and bad governments are ordained by God, folks, and it's not our place to rebel against them. Whatever the governing body is, in principle, it's established by God, what for? For the purpose of keeping order in society and reigning in the sinful nature of men. Now just think about that in our own turf here. Think about that. If we did not have government, whether you love our government, like our government, or whatever... I'm not getting into into politics here. If we did not have government, there would be no public utilities. If we did not have government, there would be no military, there would be no police force, there would be no public aid, there would be no hospitals. And we could go on and on and on. There would be no safe measures for food that is, is introduced and manufactured. And you know as well as I do the heart of evil men. If there wasn't any constraining authorities, we'd be, for the sake of greed and everything like that, We'd all be poisoned now, probably. Well, God ordained government for the public good and to restrain the sinful ways of evil men. And so our place is to respect those in authority. Why? Because God designed those authorities to help us. But if we resist government, or if we resist or rebel, there are consequences too, right? There are consequences. Now, the Lord takes us very seriously, folks. He does. Now let's just not just put it on the circular shelves. Let's think about this. This Lord takes us very seriously. And how do I know that he takes us seriously? I'll go back to scriptures for an example. Remember how God chose Moses to be the human leader and along with his brother Aaron to be the high priest when he delivered Israel out of Egypt and their bondage? He said, Moses, you're my man. Well, during the wilderness wanderings, after the exit, etc., Things were on a bit of a shaky ground. And on one occasion, around 250 people <coughs> gathered themselves together and chose some ringleaders to approach Moses and Aaron. And their approach was based on a complaint how that Moses and Aaron had put themselves above everyone else and put everyone else on a lower plane. They were despising the leadership that was over them. You know what God did? He instantly opened up an automatic grave in the ground and swallowed those ringleaders up just like that. Did the people learn? Next day, next day, all the rest of the congregation, all the children of Israel, they were really hard done by this. And they put up a complaint and they blamed Moses and Aaron for this calamity that happened to these 250 men because the ringleaders were instantly swallowed by grave and then God sent this fire down from heaven and and burnt alive, killed 250 others. And did the people, all the people learn from that? No. The next day, they complained and said, Moses and Aaron, this calamity is your fault. You see? They came to the leadership and they, and they blamed their leaders. They despised their leaders. 
What did God do this time, folks? You know what he did? He sent a plague that killed a further 14,700 of them. And he would have wiped out every single living children of of Israelite that day if it was not for Aaron who made atonement on behalf of the people. You can read all about that in Numbers chapter 16. That's how seriously God takes rebellion against appointed his appointed leaders. Folks, our government, our authorities are God's ministers as we read in verse 4. May it be that we acknowledge our governing authorities as God appointed, no matter how poorly they handle public service and allow that to motivate what? Motivate our prayers for them for a start. While at all times giving due respect and submission to them. Our second point is Christians a Christian common sense and a government. We see this in verse 3 and 4. You know, have you ever lived in fear of the Lord? I won't ask for raises of hands. We don't need to hang all our dirty washing, but I'm going to hang out some dirty washing. I've lived in fear of the Lord. Now, it's not that bad. Nothing bad. You probably laugh. But I remember once back in New Zealand, I went to work on my truck every day. And in, in New Zealand, you have to have a warrant, a fitness on your truck, right? And being like me, I left the right to the last minute. And I was caught out. I actually had to wait a whole week before I could get this warrant of fitness which would last me another six months. The question was, was I going to take that truck on the road and be illegal, risk it, or was I not? I chose to take it on the road. I had to get to work. I tell you, those five days of being on the road illegally were downright horrible. Every car that came behind me, every car that faced me on the road, is that a cop? Is that a cop? I dreaded the next corner because I thought there might be one of those um, random possible vehicle checks like they had hostile in New Zealand that was going to pull me over and I'd be done like I deserved. I lived in fear that week, honestly. It's a little bit of an example of what it'd be like. I'd hate to be a person on the run or committed a real crime. Uh, Not that that wasn't a real crime, it was illegal. But you know what? Oh, the relief it brought to me when I was finally granted my warrant. All this is to say, folks, is that being a law-abiding citizen makes sense, right? For two simple reasons. And the first one is, is obeying the law of the governing authorities frees us from the fear of penalty due then. It does. Frees us from fear. Okay, it frees us from fear. And uh, what a joy and relief, I'd say, it was to, to drive when my truck was road legal again. You see, if we obey the law, we keep to the speed limit, we pay our taxes and the likes, the government is not a threat to us, right? Not a threat to us. So when we submit to the government, in most cases, in most cases, there will be a greater freedom to live our lives. Honestly, there is and there will be. In other words, if we obey the government, we'll be left alone by the government. And if we choose to rebel and go against the governing authorities, expect them what? Expect them to bear the sword, as the scripture says here, with the full force of the law. Pretty simple, isn't it? Bit of a no-brainer. In short, we will accomplish more by showing respect and obedience than you will by expressing your scorn or rebellion. And this brings us to our second practical reason for submitting to the government is that those who do not submit will face the power of the government. It's real simple. As I said, a no-brainer. The government benefits those who submit to it. It punishes those who do not. 
This is what Paul says in verse 4. He says, if that is, or it, I should say, it, that's the authority of the government, does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. You see that? The government is God's servant. It's there as God's agent. Our government in Canberra, our, our civil authorities in our state are there as God's agent to punish the wrongdoer. And in that role it has been given the power, note this, it's been given the power in that role to make people comply with the law. And if it never had that power, there would be nothing but chaos and anarchy. People hate authorities and governing authorities having power over them. But it's part of the deal. It's part of what God organised and instituted. You see, if you remove the power from these governing authorities to force and coerce people to comply, you know what you'll have on your hands? You'll have chaos on your hands. Just imagine if there were no speeding fines. Just imagine. They hurt, right? They really hurt. And most of you drivers out there would have probably felt the pain of a speeding fine. What they do is they force us to comply. Hefty fines really work. The government has the power to force us to comply. And on another angle, can I just put in here, can I suggest an example of what happens when we remove or think that we can remove the power to coerce people to comply is seen in other areas. is seen in areas like our schools or even, even in parenting roles in our homes. We see that often. And what happens? Chaos happens comes into our society, explodes all around us. I think I hope you pick up the picture there. The power to coerce, the power to force people to comply by those in authority is being done away with. In our schools, in our homes, like in New Zealand, it's illegal to smack a child. And so... If any, that form of discipline is removed, what is going to happen, there's going to be power taken away, there's going to be this authority taken away, and it's a bit like taking speeding fines away, and so what's going to happen? I think we see the fruit of that in our society today, don't we? God gives power, he gives a sword, as we told here in Scripture, to authorities to help restrain the sinful drift of humanity and to keep things in order. That's what he does. So may we as believers freshly appreciate our country and its infrastructure. You only have to go to another country. I'm not speaking about derogatory about India, but you know when you go to India, I've been to India a few times, and you come here, oh wow, everything's in order, everyone obeys the rules, especially on the roads, you know, and and everyone goes the right way and stops when lights go red and go when lights go green. You don't see that in many places in India and some of these other places. Praise God for the infrastructure and, the, and for the power of the government still uh, employs to coerce and make us to conform so that everything runs smoothly. Our third point, third point today is um, Christians 
response to the government. We see this in the last few verses of verses 5 to 7. And he continues to flesh out what all this means practically for the believer. He tells us that we should also honour those in authority. He says, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. You see that? In other words, obeying the law is not only about staying out of trouble. But we should be obedient and respectful because it is pleasing and honouring to God. In other words, we should have a burden. We will have a, have a conscience, a sensitised conscience as believers will know that we need to obey the law. You see, folks, being a good citizen is part of being submissive to authorities, which is what? Being submissive to the Lord himself. In verse 2, Paul says, Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. We show submission to God through our submission to even sometimes not very nice people, maybe even an unjust, unfair ruler, and even, can I take it a bit further for practical application, to an unfair and a difficult boss. You know all about this. Every day God allows situations that teach us how to bend our will, how to submit. For example, if we don't learn proper submission to parents and to teachers, employers and governing authorities, our supposed submission to God may well be a farce. All talk and thought and no reality. Let me quote my wife. She always used to tell our children, if you do not learn to know how what your mum and dad tell you, how on earth are you going to learn to know what God tells you? Pretty logical conclusion. And pretty good advice, right? And that's not her idea, it's really God's idea. She stole it from him. <coughs> this is why believers should be the best workers and the best citizens. Because we respectfully submit to authority. And the one behind that authority, God himself. Even if that lower authority is downright horrible. Our conscience as Christians should be telling us this. But then again, we'll always have that nagging question, right? What if our government, what if our civil authorities or our boss goes too far and uses their God-given so-called authority in an, even, in an evil manner? For example, what if a law was made it's illegal to worship like we do here now? What if a law was made that it was, it was illegal to evangelise or, or, or that having a Bible was illegal? Classed as illegal literature. What if that happened? Or, or maybe your boss asks you someday to engage in some dodgy, unethical practice. How far do we go to this, with this submission thing? Where do we draw the line? The principle is this, folks. Wherever there is an overstepping of God's demands and standards, we must resist. Yes, we must respect God's appointed authority, but we still have a higher authority to whom we must submit to. Once again, I'll take it back to the Old Testament for an example. Just remember Daniel again? Daniel respected his authorities. You remember the book of Daniel, how he was asked to eat, uh, put at the university for three years, and he has taught all the, uh, the um, Babylonian culture and, and so forth. And, um, you know, that alone would have been tough. 
Now, what was a Hebrew, Yahweh worshipping Hebrew, wanting to learn in a university about the myths and the mythology of, of the Chaldean ways of worship? He submitted. He learned it. And he had a number of tests, actually. He learned the language. He learned the culture. And then he says, and then they came to something that he drew the line in. They're eating, eating the food. Okay? They're eating the food test. That's where he drew the line. That's where they drew the line. The three men, remember? His friends. Because this was a direct conflict to what God had said. There was unclean food there for the Jew. Certain foods were unclean. And, and so he, this was a direct conflict to his faith. And so he, he drew the line there and he says, No. Remember Daniel also, again, and when he prior going into the uh, Daniel uh, into the lion's den? New law. No more praying. What was Daniel going to do? He had drawn a line. He resisted the government. I will pray. And so he continued to pray. And he was thrown in the, in the lion's den uh, for his trouble, which God delivered him from. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. New law. You must bow down and worship the image that I've put up in the plain of Europe. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego drew the line and says we will not bow and worship any other god apart from Yahweh. They were thrown in the fire furnace for their trouble which God delivered them from. Faithful martyrs down through the ages have been burnt at the stake. They've been fed to wild beasts. They've been hung, drawn and quartered because they rightly refuse to deny their allegiance to the Lord. My dear people, we must resist the unjust and immoral laws and practices that the government promotes or is indifferent to, but we must do so with respect and honour to those who make them. You see, folks, it's not about our actions... It's not about our actions, not only about our actions, it's our attitudes that count as well. I've seen protesters outside abortion clinics, and no doubt you would have seen them too. And they claim to be Christian. I was ashamed of their behaviour. They're angry, they're, they're acting like rebels. Am I against abortion? Absolutely. It's a sin and a crime against, against humanity, and it's a sin against God. But is that the way to respond? Absolutely no. We must resist when appropriate, but we must do so without becoming ugly. You got the point? So how does a believer respond to civil authorities? We respond with a godly attitude. Our spirit-sensitised consciences will cause us to what? It will cause us to respect and submit to government and we will do things like what? Without willingly, we will... Pay our taxes. This is what Paul says. We'll pay our taxes. And we won't even fill in a dodgy return or make a return a dodgy one. Even though we've got a employee from the ATLs here. We'll also give honour to whom honour is due. We're pretty poor at this already. Sometimes we think, Christian, okay, we only honour and worship the Lord and so everyone else is... Phew. no. We're honoured and give honour where honour is due. 
Even the Prime Minister, the local mayor, the politician who rubs you the wrong way. We are to give them the honour and respect their placement by government deserves. These God-appointed people, these authorities, yes, they need our prayers, folks, probably most of all. They need our prayers. Matter of fact, Paul instructed, uh, Paul instructed here, um, Timothy, he says, or he instructs all of us, he said, for kings and for all who are in authority, so that we may lead tranquil and quiet lives in all godliness and dignity. We're to pray. That's our prayer to be. Do you pray for your government? Do you pray for those in authority? For the mayor? For the city council? Police? May our surrender as living sacrifices to Jesus Christ never detach our attitude and responsibilities towards God's ministry. <coughs> May we never detach that and put it on a second shelf. You know, as believers, we are to be model citizens. In Jesus' words, we are to give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to give to God what is God's. You see, we are dual citizens, folks. I'm a dual citizen. I'm a citizen of Australia and I'm a citizen of New Zealand. It gives me some privileges. But nothing like the privilege we all have as believers. Those who have trusted Jesus Christ as Saviour and Lord. Those who have bowed their knee and heart before the Lord and said, Lord, I'm a sinner. I want forgiveness. And through that faith and trust in God, we then become citizens of God's kingdom. And so while we are still here, we're citizens of earth, but we're also citizens of heaven as well, right? Dual citizenship. May we respond down here to human government as those who by God's grace in Jesus Christ have been saved out of this world in order for one day to reign in the next, even over angels, with Jesus Christ and him alone. Pray God will add his blessing to his word.